When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'd, I'd rather not go into Okay, well, are, are you sure? Because, again, you know, we all know that for a joke to work, um, it's got to be able to stretch the truth a little, right? We're not going to take everything literally. Well, there's one thing I'd like to stretch a little bit, my penis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen, and I really didn't appreciate Patrick Klepek showing up at my house with a racist Asian man statue at the front door. Can someone please call the police? Joining me today is Patrick Klepek. And I'm always secretly recording these podcasts so I can take notes about having to have better conversations with David the next time. So far, it's not working. On today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be discussing The Curse, Episode 7, entitled Self-Exclusion. We'll start with our overall thoughts on the episode and then dive into a spoiler-filled recap of the show. Find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us across all platforms at decodingtv, Instagram threads, and so on. All right, Patrick Klepek. Uh, before we get to today's episode, we got to respond to some of the feedback from last week's episode of the show. Or actually, this is from a, a couple weeks episodes ago. Uh, we always love people's emails and theorizing at decodingtv at gmail.com. We got this email from James in Vermont writing into decodingtv at gmail.com saying, quote, Found your podcast recently. I've listened to Dave uh, many times over the years and followed Patrick work, Patrick's work since the one-up days. Oof. Same, by the way, same, James. Same. <laughs> Oh, no. And probably, probably saw me on a table pretending to be a wolf at one time in the mm, one-up show. I remember mm-hmm, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm, good times. Mm-hmm. Good times. Anyway, hadn't noticed this podcast until I saw a tweet about it from Patrick. I've gone back and enjoyed your curse coverage a lot. Just wanted to mention a detail of the curse episode five you all did not mention in your coverage. The potential home buyer who Whitney feared was a white supremacist, but turned out to maybe be a pretty good guy who seemed aligned with her views, was played by Dean Kane, former Superman actor, Current right wing freak. Oh, obviously not accidental casting. Uh, noticing that fact added a whole other layer to that scene where you're trying to figure out what this guy's intentions are. I don't think you all mentioned that, so I thought I'd point it out for you. Thanks! Exclamation mark. End quote. Uh, right wing freak. Those are James' words, not mine. Obviously, uh, I have heard tell about Dean Kane's political views. Oh, I am going to read to you from Dean Kane's Wikipedia page. Uh oh, okay, there is a. <laughs> There's a section of Dean Cain's Wikipedia. First of all, did you ever watch, uh, what was it, uh, The Adventures of Superman? Was it Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman? Was that what it was yeah, called? Uh, no, not personally. I'm like well aware. Like I, it was a, When he appeared in that scene, I was like, huh, I should look up who that is. And then by the time it was over, that thought had filtered out. But he, he definitely, uh, he's one of those actors seen before, but I didn't actually watch that show when it was on. It was uh it was a pretty big deal for me, I have to say. I watched it pretty regularly. The the show was called Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Uh and it aired for many years. Uh, uh has 88 episodes on on ABC and wow. uh it was uh, highly enjoyable, I thought. I was I I spent a lot of time watching Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Uh so anyway, so so basically as a like as a young person i, I watch that show and then i'm like oh dean dean kane plays superman and so i was like oh what a, what a cool upstanding guy here is the wi- political views section from dean kane's wikipedia page uh kane voted for bill clinton twice voted for al gore in 2000 uh and, uh, the latter of which he said he regretted he supported john mccain in 2008 supported rick perry in the 2012 election Ooh. and in 2016 and 2020 he endorsed and voted for donald trump yeah kane has stated he is very leftist on social issues citing his support of marijuana legalization and conservative on economic and foreign policy issues that's the exact quote All in right. t- 2018 kane was elected to the board of directors of the national rifle association of america so I, I think right what the show is trying to do by having him in there is saying, "Hey, 
just because this guy seems like hardcore MAGA online, um, maybe he's a little more complicated than that. You know, maybe he's, uh, maybe you should uh, double click on uh, Dean Kane's views because it might not be as simple as you think. I, I think that's what the show's trying to say, you know? Well, and I. I saw some commentary around this after uh, you had sent me this letter originally and I was like, well, then why would he, why would he agree to be on the show? And well, one, I don't think it's necessarily poking fun at his views. Uh, I doubt the show. I mean, I guess the show is to to a certain extent, Um, but uh, in some ways it's like validation for his own viewpoint of himself, right? Like the character, (laughs) however you feel about Dean Cain. And I, I think we could, you know, makes some pretty safe assumptions. They're like the show as presenting that character feels as though that is the way Dean Kane views himself in the world. Even if many people might disagree with that yes. characterization, uh, it, it definitely feels in line with how, how Dean talks about himself. Right. Right. According to this Wikipedia page, you yeah. know, but yes, uh, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. So, uh, people are complicated, you know, that's one of the many messages of the curse. So, uh, okay, uh, before we move on, we did also get this comment on last week's episode, uh, and I just wanted to read it because it was uh, it's just a little fun little comment from David Potts over at DecodingTV.com, uh, who wrote in uh, a comment that, uh, you know, on, on the site saying, total delight of an episode, episode five, it's a good day. Um, most fun I've had watching a new TV show since Succession. Uh, funny story, I'm currently sitting in a bar middle of Saturday afternoon at a nice Mexican restaurant that opened near my home of Austin, Texas. I'm the only customer in the entire restaurant. To my surprise, one of the staff approached me with a DSLR camera asking to take pictures of me enjoying my chips, salsa, and Diet Coke while waiting for my order. What can I say? I guess I'm the type they're looking for. So funny to experience this after watching episode five. End quote. Uh Anyway, I just was wondering, Patrick Klepek, you know, you have lived a rich and interesting life, and I'm curious mm. if you have, if your image has been appropriated for marketing. I will tell you that recently this happened to me where uh, we recently had some very minor work done on our garage in our house. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people who did the work, they asked my wife, hey, can we film you doing a uh, little testimonial about the garage? Um, and she's like, okay, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, she thought it was going to be for their, like, uh, maybe they would quote it on their website or so, you know, but like, she thought it'd be like, not a big deal. So she's not like, she's, she's not like dressed up or anything. She hasn't <laughs> right. done her hair or makeup. Right. So she's like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. And so they ask her some questions about the garage. What these guys do is they take that testimonial footage and they pay to make it into an Instagram stories ad. So then all of a sudden, like all these people that we know are getting served this ad of my wife talking about uh, our garage and how awesome the garage, you know? And like, meanwhile, I'm like dying inside because, because this thing is shot with uh, what's like probably like an iPhone 11, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's no good video and audio. Like Patrick, I think you, appreciate that i take my audio and video quality very seriously you do <laughs> and uh we got patrick a new light so that he mm-hmm. looks good on videos and stuff the funniest, and- al- the, the funniest version of this story is this accidental filming also having extremely crummy av like oh, if i was absolutely. if i was drawing it up myself like that's that like you have to have that present yeah, I mean, I, they're, they're filming it. And I was like, whatever. It's no one's going to see this. Meanwhile, yeah. they probably spent like you know hundreds of dollars to to show it to people that we know locally. They're like, hey, I saw you on Instagram in an ad. And, you know, That's people amazing. talking to my wife about it. So anyway, uh, when um there was a a big Xbox event uh, at E three E three the event that you might have seen died uh, this week in the video game industry. If you aren't familiar with video games, yeah. it's a huge uh trade show it's where in the past like all the big video games were announced every year coming out for the next couple of years um and when we lived in my wife never attended it except for the uh like two-ish years that we lived in los angeles and then she wouldn't go to the show but it's like when i get invited to parties or events like it was pretty easy for me to get a plus one and occasionally there'd be people she wants to meet or the event itself was interesting enough that she'd come along and when microsoft announced the connect uh, there's sort of like camera, like motion detection device that um, is going to be like part of the future of video games. And 
it wasn't. Um, but they had this enormously expensive premiere event for it where they hired Cirque du Soleil to do a custom show. Um, and it was meant to demonstrate the movement, whatever. Like, I was like, you know, Katie, like, this seems like a, del- they'll, like, they'll probably be drinks and you get to watch a free circulate show uh, that, uh, that they made for this. She's like, great, I'll come. So we go and it's a lot of fun. It's really neat. It seems very expensive. Uh, and then as we're leaving, um, she's standing right next to me. And then I look over and she's no longer standing next to me. She, they were peeling people off from who were leaving to film them for like testimonials about the event uh, for Xbox Live. And so uh, if you're familiar with Microsoft in particular, there's a guy named Ma- Major Nelson, who is like one of their main spokespeople. Uh, he recently retired from uh, Microsoft and is, is, I think, just doing consulting now. And I look over and this Major Nelson is like taking my wife away from me and is like asking her what her gamer tag is. She had one at the time because she played a little left for dead, but it wasn't really sure what he was asking. It was just fumbling her way through a bunch of video game questions. And then it all showed up. So like eventually we found it. We found the clip that like, you know, six seconds on Xbox Live of like, well, we got to get a couple of women in here. Like, oh, look, there's one. Like, film her. Like, film her. And uh, she was like, should I be? What's going to happen with that? I was like, don't worry about it. Like, it's just, Wow, this is, a, this is a serious violation of your journalistic integrity, Patrick, that, you're, that your wife was seen promoting uh, one of the major console makers. Um, yeah, one of, to, one of many violations. Uh, going to have to report this. Out. Gonna have to report this to the bosses at crossplay.news. <laughs> yeah, um, let them let let know. They're, yeah, let, <laughs> yeah, they're not going to be know. very happy about this. <laughs> Ethics have been violated. We'll make sure and let the employees know. We'll hand out some paperwork. <laughs> I, mean, I, did just, right. I literally just got a thing in, the, in, in my email. This is my first year setting up like my own company to run yeah. my finances, and they were they were like, "Hey, because I am an employee of my company, yes. it's tax stuff anyway." But they're like, "Hey, in your state, you have to hand out sexual harassment guidelines to mm. your employees. Like, reply yes if you want to know how to do this." And I was like, "So I need to hand out, or at least say that I handed out sexual <laughs> harassment guidelines to the employee, of the company, me from the <laughs> boss of the company." me yeah I'm like okay i'll do yeah. it whatever i gotta do state of illinois <laughs> yep yep <laughs> be careful you do not sexually harass yourself patrick i'm working right. on it i'm working on it all right let's uh, <laughs> anyway those are some comments and emails we always appreciate it keep them flowing into decodingtv.com. thanks to all of our paid members for making this podcast possible or uh decoding tv at gmail.com patrick let's talk about episode seven of the curse self-exclusion Let's start with our overall thoughts. We'll get to a spoiler-filled recap. What do you think of this episode? Uh, Breaking Asher appears to be where we're uh, we're headed with this show. It's it's a good episode, um, but the you know I think we were I, I mentioned on our our previous uh, discussion that sort of the tone of the cringe of the show seems to be shifting to a certain extent. Like uh, it's getting to more upsetting rather than humorous and it's not that there isn't humor to be found in the show but like the uncomfortable is like getting distressing uh and like giving me a lot of anxiety and this episode is just completely full of it like we're getting plot lines that we wondered what happened to those those are finally like paying off in like really satisfying ways we have increasingly clear kind of Calling them heroes and villains isn't like it doesn't work as cleanly on a, on a show like this in which people are really complicated. But we're getting characters have come into focus. Uh, you know, we were talking in previous about characters making decisions that you won't be able to walk back. And mm-hmm. I think what I find really interesting about this episode is it's it feels like it's the show applying a sharpen filter to everybody, and just like every character is becoming a little sharper, a little more interesting as a result. Even if, like, for the most part, we aren't really seeing, like, the full consequences of those actions. And it's more just the show. I feel like it's if, if it was a gun, it's just putting another bullet in the chamber. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, there's another one. There's another one. And they're all going to fire at some yeah. point. And we're just watching this tension just get ratcheted to such a uncomfortable degree. But... It does make me very, 
I guess excited, but we were wondering where is this show going? And I do think at this point, even if I couldn't tell you like narratively where it all ends up, emotionally, it does seem like we're headed in a direction that is very interesting for, frankly, more characters than I expected, right? You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more Kara in this episode. Um, uh, Dougie's a little off to the side, but just in general, it feels like the show, it's not just going to be vibes. I I feel like the show is heading to a place. I feel like this show is going to have something to say. I don't know (laughs) what it is, but um, I have my suspicions and... I I frankly just can't like it's everything in my power is to not just hit play on the next one because I don't want to shotgun this show and I want to like really sit with it week to week as you and I go through it as we're watching it with the audience. Uh, But I I thought it was fantastic and I'm frankly just completely dreading where this is all going to end up because none of it none of it's good like Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. no I don't think any character comes out of this like without a bunch of scars um, yeah there's, it's just, there's seemingly no good people on the show quote-unquote no. good people right there's no one you can really root for Mm-mm. on the show um but i agree that this was a very good episode i think again emma stone is incredible Ooh. in this episode she there's two scenes that emma stone has that are just so amazing i i I'm mildly upset more people aren't watching it because I just think like what she's doing is so difficult uh, and she's pulling it off every single week and it's really amazing. Um, I think you can tell a lot about where the show is heading by the episode lengths, Patrick. Like this episode and the last two episodes haven't been very long. Mm-hmm. And the final three episodes are all like 60, 58, 60 minutes. I think the finale is like, 70 minutes long. Oh, interesting. So I think we're, I, I think <laughs> at, at this point, I feel like all the table setting has occurred. Yeah. And we are now going to enter the end game of the show in, you know, a, a, a rollicking good state. So uh, I think this is a very solid episode. Uh, I, I liked it quite a lot. Uh, and uh, again, a- Emma Stone, just MVP of the show for me. So yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, those are some overall thoughts on the episode. Uh, this is episode seven of The Curse, Self-Exclusion. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now, Patrick Klepek, before we talk about an in-depth recap, there is one thing I want to mention. You know, I was going to wait to mention this until we got to it, but... I'm just, I want to put it up top because I think it might shape some of our conversation. Sure. The whole season, we have been wondering what is up with the way that this show is filmed. As we've discussed, the show is filmed with very long camera lenses, often through objects. So there's a scene that happens with like Whitney and Kara this episode that is shot through the, the window of Kara's house. Uh, and you can see, like, there's specks of dirt and all this stuff block, you know, obscuring the camera. And so, and it's it, it's shot as though it is a reality show or some kind of surveillance, right? Like that these people don't know that they're being filmed, and you know, the people filming this are just barely grabbing the shots. A lot of long, continuous takes, right? Which is what you would expect to see with a reality show. There was one shot this episode. That really made me think about what is going on. Do you know what shot it was? There's one shot that I was like, huh, that's interesting. Do you know, do you know what shot I'm talking about? No, not off the top of my head. 
Okay, so virtually every single shot in the show is a stationary shot, like on a locked, we call it locked off or on a tripod, basically. Mm -hmm. Now, the the tripod might move back and forth, like it might like pan back and forth. Um, But... It it often seems like it's on a tripod far away from the uh, from the actors, and we're just barely catching them across the street or through a window or whatever. When we're in the car, uh, there are stationary shots, like in the car, like you know, kind of hidden camera style footage, like in the car. It's like, uh, you know, a camera right in front of them, between them, you know, like looking at one of them and so on, or through the car window. Whitney gets in a car with her father this episode mm-hmm. and drives and the camera angle on that shot is ridiculous. <laughs> it's basically uh she is being filmed as from another car that is like barely keeping up with her. Uh that's like drifting back and forth and like not keeping up with her. And I was like that what a weird shot. And it occurred to me that with all the other shots, like it, when you're in Whitney Nash's car, the shots are like very prepared. But when you're in, when Whitney gets in a different car that you don't prepare for, you need to have a, an alternate plan, which in this case was like, let's put a camera in a car and follow them barely, which is what happens. Couple that with the fact that we learn at the end of this episode that Asher has been secretly surveilling um, his own conversations with Whitney. And I do wonder if there is still yet a domino to fall when it comes to this whole camera angle thing. Do you know, like... Well, yeah, that we had a, someone write in in a, in a previous episode theorizing that one of the, like, re, like late game reveals of this might be that, you know, they have been surveilled in a way to allow a different type of show to have been filmed all along that is tracking with everything else they're up to, going all the way back to Dougie wanting to overhear Asher having the conversation with the reporter. That's like the first inklings we get of like, what if a different stock, like a different story was happening all along for a different show. And I think it's still on the table. And yet I also think it's incredibly possible that it's just part of the really experimental aesthetic of the show. hundred um, percent. Uh, and, and that's to be fair, I was very much in the latter camp. Uh, until this episode, I was very much like, "Oh yeah, it's just they're trying to make it seem like a reality." Show. You know, they're making trying to make it seem like a reality show. That's it. That's kind of what I felt. But for some reason, seeing the shot of Whitney and her dad in the car, like, changed it all for me because I'm like, "Oh, this really, th- this really feels like there's somebody in a car next to them with a camera. Like, it's sh- shot through a car window, right? Right. Uh, and so I'm and like, we- "Oh, oh, so they're like, because because in in the past." Uh, there's been times when it's like, oh, well, how did they get a camera there? Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's just part of the aesthetic of the show. But then there was this car shot, and it's completely, like, changed my whole perspective. The other thing is, um, it's possible that Asher is surveilling them, um, and it's not for some kind of show. It's just he's he's doing it for his own purposes. We find out at the end that Asher is the one behind it, and he's doing it just to improve his relationship with Whitney. You know, like, <laughs> I know or... it's the most, it's just like one of the saddest, saddest, saddest possible things. <laughs> I mean, there is the, you know, there's still this the kind of unexplained moment where, uh, from a couple episodes back when they're filming one of the new episodes and Dougie has Asher's phone and he's very mm-hmm. weird about it. Like he's, yeah. he's, he's installed apps. Like right. he claims like he just, Oh no, I just downloaded like a, you know, a dating app. Uh-huh. Like going to get yeah. you, get you some ladies. Uh, and, if you want to, if you want evidence for like a broader sort of like, well, he'd probably be downloading some sort of software so that he could be more, yeah. like he could be surveilling the two of them in a way that maybe doesn't line up one-to-one with like, how are you getting, like, I don't know what we're going to get at the end of the show is uh, that all of these person like personal intimate scenes with the two of them, like Ash and Wendy have been filmed, but um, that we're, other parts of it had been recorded and like, I don't know, like maybe these are, it's revealed like these are like kind of reenactments or, or something that like allows mm-hmm, us, allows mm-hmm. like a story to be told. And like, yeah, I, I can still see some version of that. It feels like maybe that's like overly complicated. For right. The yeah. show that like the show that's in front of us. Yeah. The um, show is very like relatively simplistic in its setup so far. It's like these two people are trying to make a reality show and it's very linear so far. Right. So there's no like 
flashbacks as far as i can recall right so it doesn't and it's it, not a, like a twist show like it doesn't right, seem right. like that kind of yeah. thing where it's like ha ha yeah. like yeah yeah you've just been looking back like all right. of these shots make sense now but it, because of the nature of the show everything's on the table i don't yeah. it's I, I wouldn't put money on on right. this or not a ton but i don't think it would be out of out of bounds i just think it's i think it's unlikely but i don't think it's out of bounds i am probably overthinking it I'm ninety nine percent chance I'm overthinking, it. but it just, but it, I was just so, so thrown off by that one shot because previously I was just like, oh, they're just yes, they're, they're loosely using the reality show aesthetic, but then I saw that shot, I'm like, oh, they're taking it literally in that there's literally a camera and another car following them. That's not happening when it's their car, where they actually right. have cameras they could put in there and prepare for. Right. Um. So I'm like, what? Anyway, again, it set me on this huge tailspin, and we don't need to go into more into it. But yeah, I think, in many ways, what we may end up looking back at is it's a fun consequence of a show where you it doesn't have a central thread for you to kind of grasp onto. It's got a lot of different things going on. It's it's storytelling is is not uh, you know it it, it's it's not normal in that way. It's it's kind of doing its own thing, and then because of the aesthetic, like you almost find yourself grasping onto different things to explain what's going on. And the end of it might be more normal than, you know, you expect. But I think that's, I think that's part of the fun of the way the, the show is structured and shot is it. And also because the unreliable characters, like it lends itself to, well, why not be, be that? I don't, I don't, I don't think you're out of bounds to at least theorize it. I think it's a fun theory. All right, Patrick Klepek, let's get into the episode. We're going to spoil episode seven of the curse. Uh, Let's talk about the Nala stuff real quick. Uh, there's uh, Nala's scenes bookend the episode. We open on Nala, who cursed Asher. She's in gym class. Uh, she's fixated on another girl climbing a rope and quietly wishes for her to fall. Now, that girl is a girl that was teasing her, we've seen in previous episodes, mm-hmm. right? So, anyway, the girl does not fall, and when Nala tries to climb the rope herself, she falls. Uh, the girls try to encourage Nala. Nala isn't interested. Uh, Nala is not interested in reconciling with this girl. And so Nala tells the gym teacher she's being bullied, but the gym teacher uh, is not super receptive or responsive to that information. Uh, in the final scene, we see Nala chatting with a girl on the playground. In the background, the girl she was feuding with runs into a wall and injures her head while Nala looks on. Does Nala actually have curse powers? TBD. But I will say this, Patrick Klepek, as far as we know, Barkad Abdi, Nala's father, isn't dead. <laughs> so <laughs> that's great. Because we were, we really left him in a terrible place uh, not too long I, ago. Yeah, I took some comfort in the fact that she does not seem traumatized. Uh, yes. uh, so I don't know if that means the chiropractic session went well necessarily, but at least means he wasn't a corpse at the end, which was not was at least a coin flip away for me yes. at the conclusion uh, of that scene. I presume we were we're going to hear from. I mean, like it, it would be very easy for the show to have left these characters behind too, and so it makes yeah. me like very interested to see, like, why does the show keep like why do we keep get reminded of Nala? And again, maybe it's just to uh, there's been a constant reframing, a constant uh, reminder of well, what is a curse if nothing more than something you believe in? Um, it doesn't mm-hmm. you know it doesn't have to be supernatural. You can just believe it to be true and then find ways for that to manifest whether they're actually true uh, or not. Um, and, and maybe that is part of what's happening here, or maybe that's, you know, part of a broader consequence for Whitney and Asher that we've yet to see the shoe drop on. Yeah. Yeah. I like how the show dances with the supernatural. I'll put it, I'll put, I'll put that out there. Uh, I don't know that it's really a supernatural show, but I like that it kind of plays, plays with that idea. Uh, I did watch rewatch that scene of that girl getting injured in, at the end multiple times just to see what was happening because it would have been interesting if she actually fell off something, but she doesn't fall. She like runs into a wall as far as I can tell. Yeah, she um, seems to be just like playing like a game of tag or something like right. that and just like hits kind of a, a right. brick wall. It looks so like it's it hurt. Probably just, <laughs> it's probably <laughs> it just like a it coincidence. <laughs> it's probably just a coincidence. So anyway. All right. So there's some stuff with uh, Whitney and Kara in this episode. Let's talk about what happens there. Uh, Whitney travels to a mini golf course with the racist statue that Kara texted Dougie about last episode. She offers to buy the statue and the business owner lets her take it. 
she seems extremely satisfied with herself and decides to drag the statue to Kara's house. Let me pause here for a moment, Patrick Lepic. I I really appreciated how this uh, episode showed people being frustrated in workplaces. So <laughs> in the scene where she buys the mini golf, like the guy, the guy agrees like, okay, I'm selling it to you. And then he calls out his coworker's name and has to shout it four times before he's screaming and swearing. Later on in the episode, when, uh, when Whitney goes to get money from the bank, there's a bank teller. Yeah. Who says like, Hey, do you want me to count out the money for you? And he's like, no, that's okay. And then, you know, Whitney's dad leaves. And then the bank teller says, Hey, can you, uh, can you put some more, uh, paper into the receipt machine and then he's like oh no no i need to do it myself okay thanks i'm just like wow they're really just offering us a nice slice of life in the show it's just a you know like they don't they don't have to do that like they, they no they don't have to spice up those moments a little bit but they kind of just do it texture to, but like it's yeah, really just texture it's yeah, really exactly. it's really good texture uh, yeah. i think and and part of what i also love about this little section is i think it speaks to your point about emma stone and the, the work that uh, she's doing in the show She's a different character. Like she is a different, like the moment. And you know, we talked about that moment where she decides mm-hmm. with Dougie, like green queen. Right. And it feels like this yeah. is a moment for her on which a lot is going to unravel out of. And there is sort of a confidence, a sort of like, Hmm, like that she, like a zip in her step that she has through a lot of this episode. There are moments where the facade, you know, breaks and we'll, we'll get into it, especially with Kara. Um, but I don't know. There, there is something about like, she feels like she has, she sees herself and what's in front of her and what she wants clearer than she has ever seen before, uh, in a way that is, is very subtle with the way stone chooses to act it, but is very noticeable, especially, uh, in this episode. Here's my question for you, Patrick Klepek. How much money do you think she offered to pay for a racist, uh, native American statue? Well, because we don't the, see it. She, she writes a but check. But we see an eyeball. I mean, like, the guy looks at it and <laughs> pauses for a moment. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing thousands, right? And it's the kind of money that's like, the, you, you, you just don't, like, question you it. You can't turn it down. You just yeah. go, okay, what did you want? And then you, pres- I'm, I'm assuming thousands I, of dollars. I think minimum 10K. 10, is... 10K? Wow. Okay. Because if if you're that guy, okay, uh-huh. you're clearly okay with having a racist statue probably, on your I probably place. never even thought about it. Like, right, not, right, like right. I don't think it's occurred to him that there's a racist like it's not like he walks into work every day, ah, time to open up the the mini golf with the racist statue. I think it's just right. it's there, it's always right. been so there. So it's going to be a big inconvenience for you to get rid of the racist statue. Uh and so you would want enough money for someone to not only be paying for the racist statue, but also for the inconvenience of it. I think she's paying 10K. Like that 10K is an amount for that statue where yeah, you you really would be stupid if you did not take that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, but for she, like a thousand or two thousand, it's like, well, uh, hey, I don't want the disruption of needing to like deploy people to like get rid of this. Plus, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. I kind of like this racist statue there. Is if you're the guy. I'm part speaking of the charm, in the voice of the guy. Part of the charm of the place. Uh, right, exactly. No, uh, yeah. I, I don't endorse any of this. I'm just trying to no, I know put myself exactly. in the mind of a person who runs a mini golf course that has a racist statue on it. So Yes. And, and um, also, I mean, we, for for all the, you know, anxiety that, you know, uh, Whitney has about Asher obsessing over money, she got no trouble spending any money at all uh, in, in this episode. And so I, 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 I even if my guess that the money is probably lower than yours. I would err on, on your take on it just because of the way the rest of the episode plays out. Like she's just in a situation. Where she's like, it's a very fuck it attitude that she has. And if she wants it, she's going to go get it and she's going to get it. However she needs to get it. And I, my guess is she offered, like you said, enough money to just close the deal. She doesn't want to negotiate. Right. Right. Just right. give me the thing. And like, let's maybe, all, move you know, maybe lives. 10 K, maybe like five K, you know, I could, I could see being five like, because I'm trying to think how much for a guy like that is going to make him go like a cartoonish like a you if like yeah. like if it was a cartoon his eyeballs are going like whoa 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 <laughs> like that's <laughs> the vibe you get from yeah. from him looking at that so but 5k 10k it's an enormous amount of money that you know that's probably how much the place brings in 
you know, in a couple of days, like in a right. spot like that. Right. So there's also a nice moment when she's driving it out of the car, the parking lot, and it like flies <laughs> to the side of the road. And it's kind of it's a good metaphor for how all of her plans sometimes with good intentions go badly. Um, anyway, I'm not sure this one is one of those, though. I don't think this is a good intentions. Go- this is. Yeah, this, this is, is she's this she is, is calculated. This she is, is one hundred percent in complete manipulator mode. This everything she does with with Kara is an attempt to manipulate her into correct a being a consultant, b signing off her art to use in the show, and she's doing it with money mostly, right? Buying the mm-hmm. statue, and at the end, finally, just giving her cold hard cash, right? So anyway, she she. Pranks Kara by putting the statue in front of the door, ringing the doorbell, making her think someone else left it, and says the statue is a gift. There's this tense moment uh, when she says, you know, you can use it for your art. And Kara says, I could sign it right now and you could buy it for me, which is like. <laughs> that was woo. <laughs> yeah. Not, not great. And then, and then Whitney, this is actually ingenious where Whitney somehow says like, uh, you know, I, I would love to have some of your art. But we all know how slow you are at signing releases, you know, something like that. She like she like manages to take it and like jujitsu it into uh, a a thing that illustrates why she was there. And I thought that was very ingenious. And manages. Um, I think there, you know, Kara. I think was attempting to insult her to a degree. And I think a different a version from Whitney two episodes ago is very hurt by mm-hmm. that comment and it becomes a revealing moment about the fact that they aren't actually friends like Kara's yep. just being nice to the someone who pays them large sums of money yep. for art that makes them feel good about themselves yes um and here whitney's not she's not here to be a friend like it doesn't matter what she views this relationship as she you're right she just sort of part like just parries it away and uses that to accomplish or at least get closer to what she's ultimately trying to accomplish with with being there and what's good for the show or rather what's good for her, which is what this has turned into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Whitney is just yeah very calculating this episode. So she, she tries to get Kara to sign the release. Kara refuses because uh, of Whitney's parents and what they do and how they take advantage of poor people. And so Whitney tries to explain how she's trying to do the opposite of her parents. And she's been hiding something from Kara too. She's no longer happy in her marriage because Asher is focused entirely on money and Whitney says the real reason she was coming over was to ask Kara to be a consultant on the show, a request Kara is, again, apprehensive about and wonders if it's possible to be an anonymous consultant on the show. Uh, again, this is one of those two scenes I was referring to where I thought Emma Stone was amazing because if you think about the layers of what's going on, mm-hmm. she is portraying somebody who is pretending to be open about her bad marriage in an effort to manipulate this person into signing this thing and taking this money. Right. So she's pretending to be somebody who's pretending. And that's just, that's just difficult to do. Like it's difficult to, it's difficult enough to pretend to be someone like to act and embody someone, but then to embody someone who's like being fake. And then for the audience to be able to read that, you know, is um, I think just tremendous, tremendous performance. So well, and on, and on some level, I think part of what the show is picking at is was it like profoundly uncomfortable to watch Asher and Whitney uh, recreate this like funny moment in their lives uh, for Instagram? I think part of what the show is getting is like, like yeah, that's like manifestly funny to watch people try and recreate this mm-hmm. natural moment between themselves, but we put on facades and manipulation of ourselves, our intentions, who we are, what we want all the time. Um, And to say that is purely just for viral clicks or to get, um, you know, attention and like, uh, you know, attention, sort of like the attention economy, it betrays the, the, the hard work we do being manipulative in our real lives using the same tool sets, but for different, for different mm-hmm. means. And I, I think that's part of what makes the show so smart and interesting is the way that it's running between those, those two worlds, even though I think they end up having more in common with one another um, than at first glance. Right. Like it, it asks you, what are the performances that you do? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, the episode concludes with Whitney asking her father for money. Uh, the cleanest ways to just get cash from the bank. Whitney informs her father it's a loan and it's the last time. 
Uh, uh-huh. She ends up using the money to pay Kara for being a consultant, and the process is able to convince Kara to sign off for, on her art being used for the show. And then they head out for an impromptu game of horse, uh, a scene that shows the two of them being actual friends for seemingly the first time. Uh, I don't know if I'd agree with that part about them being friends, uh, but I think they, they genuinely seem to be having a nice moment of connection, is what I would yeah. say. Yeah. Um, a lot, of, a lot of interesting stuff here. I love the dialogue. You know, all the dialogue on the show is very naturalistic, but all the like snarky comments that Whitney's dad makes about how like, <laughs> you know, she's like, uh, you know, he, he said he first of all, he gets forty thousand dollars because he's like this way. You don't need to bother me next time. <laughs> and then uh, she says, OK, well, it's the last time. And he's like, OK, yeah, sure. And she's like, no, I'm serious. Add it to the tab because there's probably like a long running mm-hmm. tab. And he's like, OK, do you want the. Uh, Market interest rate or the friends and family interest rate, right? <laughs> and well, it's, it's he sees her, right? Like he yeah. sees her more truthfully than she sees herself or whatever version of herself that she has convinced herself she has right. become, whether it's to distance herself from her parents or what, what you know, what have you. But, um, you know, so much of this show is to portray the parents as villains, and they very much there's a lot yes. of ancillary evidence that they are, um, <laughs> uh. But for, we don't. The show isn't. We aren't actually seeing that. It's not like we're spending scenes uh, seeing how they are exploitative um, in in the community. Um, but as parents, I mean, they see their daughter for who she is much more than the way that she portrays herself. And I think that's a it's a fascinating dynamic that we probably have not seen the last of. Because um, um, is it really the last time? Like. I don't know. Not at the pace that she's spending money. Yeah. Uh, ag- agreed. And I think that one of the theses of the show is that there's something about being liberal or progressive that perhaps inherently requires some massive amount of self de- self uh, deception. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like that you're always convincing yourself that there's a there's a different better version of yourself that doesn't actually exist um and this scene is kind of a, a symptom of that so or that anyway. the work the work to do, the work to like improve the system change the system whether that's like yourself or the systems you you know claim to care about require actual work and over and over in the show over going and back, over and and sa- and sacrifice you know in and a sacrifice. way that like and that's that, not something that uh Whitney especially is shown to be capable of actually doing. I mean, her sacrifice right. is look, like look what I'm doing for the community while they're also secretly buying up like right. plots of land to yeah. flip alongside. I mean, you know, so uh, anyway. Yeah, totally. Uh, also, there was some, um, there was an amazing little detail with Kara in the kitchen. Yeah. Where she has a, uh, a roommate so Whitney comes over. She's like, hey, I'm hand- and giving you $20,000. And Kara's like, great. Um, and I just have to say, like, I know artists, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's hard to make a living as an artist. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not easy. Uh, the fact that Kara has a roommate uh, is, you know, very common because uh, artists often can't live by themselves. Um, and she also accepts... from a person she probably doesn't agree very much with because it's like, hey, like $20,000 tax-free, that's like a lot of money in her situation. She could use it to make some interesting stuff. And then she has a roommate that comes in and says, and then Kara says to say, excuse me, I'm using the living room. (laughs) That's the, the phrasing. She goes over, she puts the money in the freezer, which has a lock on it. Yes. That's just like what? How does that even work logistically? Like, I assume you're locking it from the roommate, uh-huh. uh, and so it's like, does the roommate just not have access to that? Like, what's anyway? I don't know how that would work. It's a, I yeah, I I wouldn't have expected this much <laughs> of this character um, in the show. I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that like I thought there was a good chance that we were going to be done with her after the sort of art installation. Um, but the fact that she's returned and now become, I mean, I feel like dark, I feel like dark things await her for signing those contracts. Like I feel, I feel like taking that money, like becoming part of this inner circle is going to have some pretty gnarly consequences for, for her as a result. Yeah. Um, we may look back on 
there's something very specific about the music choice they make when they're playing horse, which is like, it's very kind of upbeat and like fun. And yeah, you know, I got the song. I, I, actually, I got the song. Um, I, I believe it's called calm the F down by dog Zam. I think that's the name of the song that plays at the end of the episode. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. and you know, it's, 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 there's so many layers in that scene. You know, I wrote in the write up, I was like, you know that seemingly acting like friends for the first time but i think and the music layered on top of that is like these different layers of facade in which this you know out of context maybe you look at this and go like oh this is like footage of like two people right. like sharing a moment but like with all the context we have in it um it we know how much how fake like how much is behind all this there's money there's lies there's deception uh and then to put the kind of fun fritzy music on top of it it's just it's it's yeah, i think you know yeah. speaks to the many ways this show is speaking to manipulation um and it's Absolutely. like what we do in our personal lives and it's what happens in an editing room and it's not just in a reality show it's what they can do on this show as well where like just by putting on some music it can kind of make you feel like oh maybe they're having a moment but like you step back for 30 seconds and they go like yeah but what's the moment like she just accepted <laughs> twenty thousand dollars and put it right. in her freezer with a locker what the fuck's going on here <laughs> right yeah, agreed, agreed. All right, well, that's what happens with Whitney and Kara. Uh, let's talk about what happens with Whitney and Asher this episode. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> we join Asher at the corporate comedy retreat. They're discussing self-deprecating humor. Asher's asked to try a joke, and I mean, this whole sequence, I don't know, man. This was, like, f- this is, like, funny from, like, a classic Nathan, Nathan Fielder, er- like, everyone's being really uncomfortable um, I mean, all the actors are really naturalistic. It really feels like they just went into the community and found these people, especially like the gym teacher from the episode. He mm-hmm. seems like an actual just random guy. Uh, doesn't seem like a like a well-known actor or anything like that. Um, Could have been a deleted scene is what I'd say about this sequence. <laughs> Maybe it's got a, uh, a little more to it later. Right. But I, it, has, it contributes seemingly nothing to the main plot. Uh, yeah. It's just more making fun of Asher for having a small penis. That's kind yes. of what it is. Yes. Uh, and... <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a fine scene. It's, it's, it's funny. It's you know, it's, it's funny, it but it's like it's uncomfortable. And and uh, I like that there's a woman that's you know trying to say like, hey, I'm I really think we should move on. And then the, the teacher like can't move on. Uh, Patrick, you we we've been in situations where we've been on a podcast and maybe we just can't move on from a topic, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's like it's it's a it's a kind of a painful situation where you realize. Oh, I've been on a podcast talking about this topic for 35 minutes. And at some point I need to move on, but I can't like I, I lack the ability to, you know, and you kind of watch this teacher get stuck in that loop. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting, you know, I guess. But well, and I, yeah. do, I do wonder, you know, we've we've also talked about the the mode that the show is in at this point that does the show feel like we need to give the audience like like a moment to to breathe to some to some degree mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's just not that many opportunities for the show to have it at this point you know and so yeah. I, I i sort of get it from that perspective but it's it's kind of like i guess i'm just over the small penis joke you know what i mean like <laughs> right, it, right. like it's, it's just it's sort not of, as sophisticated as like everything else the show seems to be doing that's that's the thing no so. and like i i and i understand what they're picking at which is how Asher views himself mm-hmm. and the lack of confidence he has. I mean, this loops all the way around to, to why would someone secretly record fights with their significant other, you know, and then take notes about it for self-improvement. Like it's all tied together in how Asher views himself. I just, yeah. I'm over the small dick as like the method to like reiterate that point there's right. other i feel like there are other way look asher has other problems as a person that we could we could get at that right and, and still have that that moment and i just the show is just fixated on that um to a degree that i'm yes i'm hoping it's the last of it but I feel like maybe we're due for one last. One yeah, last I think di- what I feel like one, we're due for one last dick shot. Like they made be the prosthetic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. They gotta uh, use gonna, it. They gotta yeah. use it. So anyway, uh, so by the end, the teacher asks Asher not to return to the comedy class. Uh, Even though I, Asher had a point there 
Like, he did. Asher didn't do anything wrong. He didn't. He didn't want the teacher to bring that topic up. He's, you know, Asher's no good at this. And like the the teacher should just recognize you're bad. Don't call on him. And just yes. let's all get through the class. Like we've all <laughs> been in situations like yeah. that where you recognize something isn't working for someone, and you just do the best that you can. And instead, he, I mean, drags Asher through the mud. Now Asher, yeah. of like Asher does, makes it a thousand times worse. The way he sort of chuckles to himself when he thinks mm-hmm. he's telling like sort of a funny joke about his di- like it's just <laughs> i'll tell you what i wish i could stretch oh my god no one's ever said i think there is there a banana in your pocket okay anyway Jesus christ <laughs> uh asher returns home whitney shuffles out of the room and asher discovers the local news story is running uh about the casino scandal uh, and it's on DVR, so Asher re- rewinds it and then watches the whole thing. It turns out Asher delivered security footage to the reporter that showed state officials letting people with known gambling addictions continue to play, uh, and the footage reveals Asher is laughing at one of those people. By the way, like it's actually even worse. Basically, uh, I watched this a few times. It's like very. It's a little bit. Compl- it's actually surprisingly complicated. That th- there's apparently a law in the universe of the show, maybe in real life, where uh, if you are addicted to gambling. You can ask the casino, please don't let me into the casino. Mm-hmm. And they are required to not let you in. Well, they let this woman in. Uh, and, and essentially part of it is you cannot win any money at the casino. So this woman goes in. Or you have to give it sec- back. If for some yeah. reason you manage to make it through their right. security or their like AI detection that they yeah. allude to, that you have to give back that. And the idea is that then you also won't lose any money either. Like you're just not allowed right. to win or lose right. at the casino. So then it, the tape is this woman, uh, the local news is reporting of this woman who goes in and wins $38,000, uh, but she was on the list. And so therefore she couldn't get the money uh, and they had to take it back. And it shows an unnamed casino employee laughing at her uh, from behind. And that is Asher. Uh, first of all, I'm just amazed that it took this long to pay this plot line off. <laughs> this was introduced in episode one. Uh, and now we are in episode seven, finally getting to a resolution on this. But anyway, uh, the footage reveals Asher's laughing at, at one of these people. And Asher tries to talk with Whitney. But she says that Asher, A, is a bad person and only does the right thing because of her. Like, presu- we get a sense that he wouldn't have left the casino if she hadn't told him to. You know, And, and so uh, it's, a, it's a painful conversation. Later, Whitney shows up to record some shots with Dougie, who asks her how her relationship with Asher's going. Uh, And she explains that it's not going super well. And when asked if their relationship is going to survive this troubling period, she declines to answer. This was the second scene that I thought was amazing uh, where Asher, uh, sorry, Dougie basically asked the equivalent of, you know, you guys are strong. You're going to survive. And she says, next question. And she kind of, the look that she has of uncertainty and doubt on her face and pain, I I just found very profound. You know, I thought it was really powerful. So do you think she was playing a, a character there. Like it felt like I thought there was a moment when Dougie asked that first question where it Whitney herself is like flipping a switch. I I'm, I'm going into like for lack of a better phrase, like green queen mode. Yeah. Yeah. I have identified who I want to be the story that's going to be told here and who I'm going to bury along the way. And there's like truth there. Obviously we get enough evidence from, out of the cameras from Asher and Whitney's relationship that there's, there's a lot going on there. A lot that's unsaid, a lot of uh, really like strange power dynamics um, that we don't have a full grasp of. And so to describe the relationship as like on a strong foundation, like that's probably untrue, but um, you know, there are, there are moments like when he, when they confront each other about the casino in that moment, it does feel like we're getting a very honest version of of Whitney. I don't feel like she's in a purposely manipulative mode. Right. I think she is disappointed in Asher and is is actually upset about what she's seen. And it's not part of a a grand scheme that she's like plotting. The moment she goes in front of that camera, though, I get the sense that that is a different version. Like that's the peppy version of Whitney that's going to pay ten grand for mm. the racist statue. Like this is part of a web she's she's weaving and chooses in that moment to weave it 
It's it's possible, Patrick. Uh, but she's also extremely disdainful of Asher in the next mm-hmm. scene when they confront each other. Oh yeah, of the shooting. Now th- that could also be part of the. Maybe she's like Daniel Day Lewising this thing and just being in character as a very unhappy wife for the whole time for the purpose of the show. I wouldn't put that past her. Uh, but I don't know. It could be real. I I, I think you know. I'm fifty fifty on it. I'm fifty fifty on it. So anyway. A uh, little scene with Asher trying to get filmed for an interview. It doesn't work out. And Dougie kind of gives him a hard time about not inviting him to Shabbat dinner. Uh, and then that's, that's basically the the end of the episode when it comes to like significant plot developments. So any other thoughts about the episode or, or what might be to come? I thought the Dougie part was pretty fucking weird. Yeah, um, weird. Weird. Because they, the, they basically get informed, hey, you don't have any more time to shoot today. Like, you, you've gone well, over it's, time. It's, it's yeah. you know, if you've been on a film production, right? Like, it's a lot of union workers yeah. and uh, there's their time and, like, yeah, they're, they're totally reason. Like, I'm on the side of the production workers who are like, screw you. Like, we want to go home. Like, sorry yeah, that yeah, you're yeah, filming. Yeah, like, but, but I mostly what I meant was, like, Dougie considers himself friends with yeah. Asher and the hostility he deploys in that scene is not in line with the kind of playful shit talking that Dougie has displayed with Asher previously in which it's not hard for me to imagine Dougie going like, what the hell, man? Like, you know, I'm Jewish. Like, why wouldn't you invite me to these dinners? And then he goes, ah, like, you know, that, but I'll come over tonight. I'll see you. I'll see you at six, you know, sort of thing. And here, I mean, it feels like Dougie knows, what's what's happening here too like he seems like at this point he's also signed on to the he's invested in the let's break asher uh sort of Mm -hmm. thing and it feels opportunistic to sort of pile on asher at this point and and that just seems part of this broader plot that they're they're playing into both in front of the cameras and off the cameras um and uh i don't know it just it struck me as weirdly hostile for a character who is not usually that that direct. He's always got I agree. A, a joke after he says something uncomfortable. I agree. I'm curious what's going on there, but this this is the episode where Asher just has a terrible, no good, very bad day. You know, like he's just consistently I think he's getting being... a good one though, David. I think, <laughs> I, I think we're out of those. He's I out of good days. There's no more good days, days for Asher. After no, this yeah. So, uh, all right. Final episodes. What's going to happen? I think we're going to see some payoff with Asher and his casino friend. Yeah. Like, I think we're going to see what happens there. Like, he's going to get a bad time there. Um, I agree with what you predicted that Kara is probably going to not be able to get away clean from this issue. Now that she's involved herself, like, this is not in a good place now. When she signed um, the contracts, man, it was just like that. It felt like that was the sh- like, it's one thing to take the money um, and just keep manipulating the relationship with Whitney in a way that it seems like she's Kara has been manipulating right. for right. a while now. The moment she was signing a dotted line, it was like, oh, buddy, I don't. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I don't know that we're even going to see the release of the show uh, of Flip Lanthropy or, or Green Queen by the end. It seems like they're still in the process of filming it. And we got three episodes left. Maybe the final episode, the show, the show might come out, but it's possible the show will never be completed. Right. Yeah. The the reality show in, within the show. Um. So, but yeah, other than that, I don't really know where else we're going. Oh, I mean, some of the predictions people made were uh, Nala's house probably going to turn out to uh, have some terrible things going on. And then it, and then it will become like a big scandal. Well, the mold, uh, right? Them. The mold yeah, is being tested. Mold. We don't have a, we don't, whether that becomes a main plot thread or not, but I, it's very easy to imagine the thing Whitney has been running from all along. Right. Like, they're, she, basically, they're sort she's of, going to become her parents. She's going to become her parents. I mean, yeah, right? there's a very easy way to look at what they're what they view as being something charitable is them just being can be viewed as being slum lords themselves. Right. Yeah, predatory yeah, exactly. themselves. And yeah. it's not I I can definitely see that being like a major point. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, of what happens in the in the final episodes, and I I I, I do know. I remember you know uh, critics that uh, reviewed the the season have made not actually said anything, but just be like, wow, can't wait for people to get to the thing. And I'm like, what is, I'm, so I've just been obsessed with like, what is the what thing? Is the thing? <laughs> what is the thing? 
And my guess is there's a reason those final episodes are as long as they are, because I think it's going to have a lot to unpack. Indeed. Well, we'll be doing it right here on Decoding TV. Uh, He is Patrick Klepek. Check out his work at crossplay.news and at Remap Radio, available wherever podcasts can be downloaded. I'm David Chen here on Decoding TV at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Thanks to all of our paid subscribers at decodingtv.com for making this podcast possible. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Curse. And also, uh, we got some coverage of um, uh, The Crown coming up, hopefully. We got uh, Murder at the End of the World is going to conclude next week. We're gonna hopefully going to cover that. And going to try to do some coverage of Fargo, but that's still very much TBD at this point. So um, that's what's in store. Keep it tuned in right here on Decoding TV. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 